Anna Cabele Gala. I, I really enjoyed talking to Anna. I was uh, so excited and grew up in Czechoslovakia when it was part of the USSR. She eventually worked for who would be the prime minister, become the minister. He was jailed for many years. She eventually went over to Kiev. She was at a hotel. She got her PhD. She got her MBA. She decided to work at a, at a hotel and hospitality. People thought she was crazy, but she loved it. She thrived in it. Now she finds herself being a professor in the Northwest of the U.S. in Seattle, teaching business. A fascinating conversation. We just She's really uh, focuses on self-mastery and self-discovery, and she backs it by science, art, and non-verbal experiences. So I just start with that question. How can we have developed self-mastery, self-discovery with science, art, and non-verbal experiences? experiences? Like art and science sometimes are opposites. Certainly they work together, but... People have a scientific approach. They have an artistic approach. Sometimes they blend the two. A, a fantastic conversation about it, and uh, really her 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 take on discipline. She actually brought it up before I did, which is rare. But her take on it, given her background and given her education, and, uh, her experience, and what teaches now as a professor and coaches too, is very unique. Very unique. How she's motivated and how she measures success. Really, really enjoyed the conversation with Hannah. It went over an hour, uh, and uh, I enjoyed every second of it. I know you will as well. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society. Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Hana Cabela Gala. So great to meet you. Thank you for, for your time today. How can explain to me, please, how self discovery and self mastery can be backed by science, art, and nonverbal experiences? It seems that science and art are such opposites. Well, hi, Joey, and it's uh, it's a joy to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, it's so interesting that we think this mm. that you know art and science and our cognitive understanding of the world are somewhat at, um, at opposite ends. 
I think it's a, it's a pretty uniquely Western culture approach and, and fairly new one when you look at the history of humankind. And, and yet we are so uh, used to this idea that it makes perfect, like nobody even thinks twice about it. Of course, science and art are like two completely opposite things. And or the way I think is very different from the way I um, create or experience emotions. Mm. They're all very different things. And in fact, this is not the case at all. And so I, um, I got to back up a little. I come from both academia, but I teach at South Seattle College. Um, uh, I teach uh, business management. And so I have this like a very real, you know, life, uh, hands-on practical experience from operations. But at the same time, I studied when, you know, way back at university, I studied philosophy. I'm very interested in, in human psyche, but I'm also interested in sort of how we work right? The neurobiology, the connections um, that, you know, how we fire up our synapses, how does that work? So I started a decade ago, um, kind of veering into the world of coaching and, and sort of looking at self-mastery and how we know each other. And as a tangent and a kind of sidebar, I think there is a um, there is a fine line between being self-obsessed and borderline narcissistic hmm. and, and not knowing enough about ourselves. So there is, you know, we, we cannot, to me, self-mastery is everything because, um, you know, you... <laughs> Know thyself was the was the sign in the Delphi um, oracle, and um, and this is a story that goes way back uh, to Socrates. And you know, like, is he the smartest? Somebody said he's the smartest. Uh, is he the smartest man in the world? And I love Greek mythology and antiquity and and all of those myths, and we can dive into that. But so this is a story where. You know, Socrates was told, um, somebody said, well, he's, he, you know, let's ask the oracle if he is the smartest man. And, um, and it's a terrible thing because when you think about it, like, you don't want to be named the smartest person um, because, A, there's an emperor and there's a, you know, there are gods and how full of yourself are you to admit that you or to think that you are the smartest person but um you know oracles were always kind of giving you these it's it's like you know horoscope these days it's like it could be this or it could be that and it could you can interpret it this way or you can interpret it the other way and or you will you know great challenge will come your way yeah yeah right like everything <laughs> can be Yes, this is definitely going to be the case. But what happened with, with Socrates was that he actually got his answer. And the answer was um, the, the Delphi Oracle said, it's true. He is the smartest man. And hmm. he struggled with it. But he realized that the reason why this was the answer was because he was so 
utterly aware of what he didn't know, right? Like he understood himself to know how much he doesn't know. And that is, bear with me where I'm going with this. For me, going back to your question about self-mastery, you have to understand how you work, not bio biologically or not neurologically, um, not even, you know, sort of in the sense that uh, I like this or, but really understand what makes you unhappy or what makes, you know, you respond certain way or react certain way. And and knowing also your fears and your weaknesses, because there's this idea and we are sort of in this world where we don't have to be challenged all the time that much. There's no lions, there's no bears, there's no war, you know, on our doorstep at all times. So we're sort of in this, in this very comfortable, easy mode and we don't have to be faced with daily struggles that most of our ancestors were day in, day in, day in, day out. But that makes us believe that we're actually better than we might be and we're not being challenged all the time. But being challenged is important because you're not good because you are not challenged with difficulty. You're only good when you're challenged with difficulty and you respond in the right way. Hmm. So self-mastery, knowing yourself is helpful because it helps you be better, be more in the world, experience the world. And it's the best way that we have um, to be more empathetic. If I know that I can... Um, how exploitative can, can we be on your podcast, by the as way? As much as you like, huh? All right. So um, as a professor, I sometimes, you know, have to check the condition of, uh, oh. of the setting. But um, yeah, like if I know that I can fuck up at any moment in this, in this particular condition, right? Like given these conditions, I will probably, you know, screw this up. Um, and or it is likely that when it comes to these things, I will make a wrong choice because I'm driven to, you know, by certain demons in my past or whatever it is. Understanding that about myself gives me way more empathy and understanding for the other. And this is one of, one of the big themes that I have because I think, you know, we talk about, we talk about so much and I live in Seattle, there, there's this drive for equity and, um, and you know, anti-racism and all this is important but I think that where we, where we only can succeed is seeing each other on this personal level, not as a representative of this color or that shade or that gender or that, you know, it's, you have to see me as a person and you will only see me as a person if you can understand my personal struggles because you understand yours. So. Mm -hmm. You, you might not understand the, the personal struggle of a, of a person of color in particular, you know, uh, historical context, but you understand suffering. 
you know, like totally. if my, if, if, if I experienced miscarriage, miscarriage, I will understand somebody else's miscarriage somewhat, you know, uh, on a much deeper level. But if mm. I did never have that experience, but I, I know suffering, I lost a loved one. I can sit with that sadness with you and, and, and have empathy and understanding and maybe understand why you did what you did after, right. Or whatever that context might be. So back to your original question, the self mastery is absolutely critical because it helps us be in the world and it helps us relate to others in a, in, in a profound way. So that's your A. And the B is the very few people can think their way into knowing themselves better. And I think that's what's really interesting because I'm going to be, again, going a little too, um, too historical um, setup, but, you know, probably Thomas Aquinas and, and uh, St. Augustine, right around there, we started this division between spirituality and science. Hmm. Up till that point, you know, university, university, the word means that you were getting a universal education hmm. about, you know, the world. Science and also kind of the, um, the, you know, the religious, the spiritual part. Sometime around, you know, Augustine, this stops being the case. And then, you know, Martin Luther shows up and, and everything goes um, down with his um, kind of fresh um, sort of pressing of, of, of division. And you can access your own God. And, and that means that um, you don't need uh, monastery and we don't really need universities the way they are, et cetera, et cetera. The point mm. being, we have this division um, or, or this idea that everything that you're you're learning and your understanding about the world must go through this prefrontal cortex. That's the newest part of your brain. Okay. And, and it's the, it's where we process language and logic. This is not where you make decision. Mm. What does that mean? That means that a lot of information, this is where I'm, I'm a big fan of embodiment a lot of the information we get about the world, about each other, about ourselves, we get through our bodies. It's a cellular level. It's a sense, you know, you walk into a building and you have a, you have a feeling about that, you know, environment, or you see a person and they give you like, when somebody says they got a, like a bad vibe, what does that mean? Well, that mm. means that your body is picking up on it could be pheromones, it could be posture, it could be their, you know, call it vibration. It could, but it's true, like we have science now showing us that these things are real. Like we we can measure how we interact and or like what transpires between people, you know, when when two people meet. And it's not all verbal. And so 
Apart from self mastery, and I'm going to stop there because you know this is a but this is a good opening. So so the self mastery is important because it helps us. We need to understand each other. I mean ourselves in order to understand other people. But then the problem with self mastery is you can't just read about you know things and be like, oh, I'm going to think my way to better understanding of myself. And that's because so much happens. Either we have experiences. I did this training with this fantastic woman who who's a neurobiologist, like she's an expert on neurobiology, and she kept talking about what you know how we store core um, memories, for lack of a better word, um, or experiences all the way in utero. Right, like hmm. we have deep experiences. People people have like these moments of, you know, maybe your, your mom didn't pick you up when you needed her to, and, or, um, your parents were big fans of, you know, cry it out. Um, and so you learned early on this, like, nobody's going to help me, right. I have to fight for myself. And, um, and those are, this is pre like pre-verbal state. And you, you already know that. How do you know that? The information is stored on a cellular level somewhere in your body, right? That's, that's what an embodiment is all about, kind of accessing those information. And, and I think I'm a big fan of art because um, in this context of self-discovery and self-mastery, because I think that art gives us access to these nonverbal um, or, or, or experiences that we didn't know we have and or we are discovering that they have some meaning for us, right? Like it, it could be, I was uh, talking, um, I was on another podcast um, a couple of days ago and we were talking about how when you're a teenager, I don't know how you were when you were a teenager, were you a super good good boy and oh never did a bad studying, thing studying never I, that's yeah. what i that's what i figured right same same i i was totally um angel A's. angel, angel. Was my nickname. Totally. yeah mm -hmm. yes how did we get the same nickname mystery odd odd um so it would not be us but there are some kids who um let's say this teenager is in a like it's a it's a confusing time right so your body is changing, the hormones are raging, um, the school is a drag, teachers are idiots, your parents turn out to be not the angels who you thought are gods that you thought they were, right? Like suddenly you're realizing like they're just people? What? How did that happen? And, and it's all very confusing. And there's no, you know, like it's, it's just too much. And it turns out that the only place that makes you somewhat feeling whole or comfortable is your own room when you turn the dial on the, the radio, and I'm old school, so radio, and you blast some like death metal, you know, like really grunge, like you bang your head and just like, you know, all out, rock out. You don't know why but it gives you peace. It makes you feel like there's something that's being released or something that resonates. And I think that's the beauty of art. You know, it's, it's 
for most part, it's nonverbal. Even books give you a feeling. They get you into a place of, oh, I know this. This is, you know, the, um, the term that I think Buddhists use is sati, right? Remembering the sort of like knowing the world, remembering a state of being in different ways. So that's my spiel and that's my way to art and self-mastery. That's my connection. The term self-mastery, I'm not that familiar with. I hear people say authenticity. Are you your authentic self? Would that be the same thing? So I think... I think authenticity is, um, it's an interesting concept and um, I, I'm glad you're asking this. Um, so we clarify. The way I understand uh, authenticity is actually Shakespeare, um, it goes way back to Shakespeare who it's in Hamlet where he, not Hamlet, it's, uh, is it Laertes? Um, basically says it's in the second act. And he says being, uh, he speaks about authenticity and he says, it's being true to yourself and hmm. true to the others. So there needs to be this dichotomy of, of being true to yourself and true to the others. There's a beautiful book called on integrity. No, the integrity, the way of integrity, the way of integrity um, uh, what's her name? This, this, um, author, Martha Beck wrote it, Martha Beck and the way of integrity. And, and she says basically integrity is on authenticity in her. And it's the same thing because she, at the beginning of the book gives this example of, of an airplane because the, the engineers use the term, you know, being in integrity in the kind of in the same way, like the plane is the, the aircraft needs to be like, there can't be, you know, bolts sticking out because it, it would um, compromise the aerodynamics. So it needs to be super smooth and it needs to be in integrity as much in integrity aligned as possible. All the parts need to be as aligned as in integrity as possible. So, Authenticity in Shakespeare is kind of like be true to yourself and true to the others. The integrity or the way she kind of interprets it um, takes it a little further as in being in alignment, right? And I think that to answer your question, is self-mastery and authenticity the same thing? And I think the answer is yes. Um, it is about knowing yourself. Um, I think I use the term self-mastery because I think that it indicates also that not only do you know yourself, but you, you know how to work with it, right? Mm. Like you, you somewhat, um, I'll give you an example that might be relevant in the context of sort of discipline and overcoming issues that we might have, like challenges that keep coming back. Um, when you know what your trigger is, right? So you um, you have a fight with uh, with somebody or something doesn't go your way and um, or when I work with clients, I would have 
um, uh, somebody say, well, you know, I, I, I had a bad call with a, with a salesperson and I just got so uh, frustrated and I knew that if I only like could drink, you know, mm -hmm. it would make it all better. And, um, but I got home and, um, I yelled at my kids and it's like, all right, so not the right way to go, mm. but okay. After we work together, we might figure out that there are these triggers, right? You are very driven to deliver in your work. Something doesn't work. You know, you have a bad call that triggers you, takes you out of that kind of persona who you want to be the successful, you know, leader. You get home and because you're triggered, you respond, um, you react in a, in a bad way and or inadequately and what we want from the self-mastery is in that moment to recognize to notice to recognize and go okay well that's a that sounds like a trait like i am i am upset and i'm upset because of this call and i'm upset of this call not because the call didn't go the way i wanted because it really challenges my perception of me. It, it's like the world is telling me that I'm not successful and I want to be successful, goddammit, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you, when you are kind of mastering yourself in this context, when you're knowing yourself better, and we now have all these techniques that should help you, ideally, next time something like that happens, you go, well, that sucked. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not happy. You don't just, you know, say, you know, let's forget it. You have to recognize how you feel, right? Like acknowledge the discomfort. And you can, you can hopefully say, okay, I am, maybe I will uh, uh, go around the block and, or, you know, I'm going to call my best friend and, or um, I am, I'm going to right now, I'm going to put a 30 minute walk on my calendar when I get home, right? So I will tell my kids that I'm, you know, I, I have to just change and I'm going to go. So I need, so I can kind of get in the alignment again. That's what I mean by self-mastery. Yeah, because the term, you know, backed by science, I, I, I believe, I, I get your opinion on this, that it's been kind of, taken hostage and it almost become like a belief system. I, you hear people say, I believe in science, whereas science is based on the repeatability of a certain experiment and similar or same results. It's not a belief system. So it's kind of been coerced politically. So when I kind of hear it in a sentence like this, I always get taken aback and say, well, what's the real meaning of this? Thoughts? Yeah, I think... I agree with you. Um, in the, but I will also counter, I think that there's, there's this, we want to believe. And, and mm -hmm. I think that we actually have a crisis of meaning, right? With the loss of religion and with lo loss of kind of, there's, there's too much. And we are feeling this kind of disjointed, like I think this whole era is, is um, unsettling for people. We just had the biggest 
you know, event, the pandemic, you know, we've never had a pandemic that we would all know about and be part of as a world, right? Like humankind, humankind, we all went through the same experience, like to a certain degree, the degrees to which, you know, we, we can debate. And um, we now know that genetically certain people responded better and certain people responded worse. And But we all went through it. And there's that low key uh, PTSD in all of us, you know, um, that we're not addressing, by the way, which would be mm. another podcast. But <laughs> the the issue I I see with the what you're asking, which is um, sort of the the science, I want to counter a little or like push back a little bit on this because we with the loss of, of meaning, we also got so attached to science as if it has answers for everything. Mm. And, and it doesn't. Right. Because science can tell us so much about the world, but it really does not have answers for our, our souls. Right. It doesn't. The pushback would be, you know, science have been has been wrong over and over and over. And that's why we need to preserve the principles of science, right? Like, because just because, um, you know, Copernicus was wrong and Newton was wrong. But then, you know, Einstein um, told us why was Newton wrong and and elab like, you know, we sure. we do these leaps and and we improve. The problem is when you say science is sacred and we can question it. Like, mm. I think that's when we have an mm. issue, right? So these days when, when people say, I believe in science, I love it. Like Seattle is full of all these signs yes. in every yeah. single yard. We have a, we have a sign, um, um, how you believe in science. And, and I always chuckle a little, I'm like, which one? Right. Which, which one are we talking about right now? Because I, I want to just kind of make sure that we know we're on the same page. Is it, you know, not to be super controversial, but is it the one with the two, two sexes, biological sex? Is this the one that we're talking about? Like, which one are we talking about here? And, and we need to, and, and it's a, I think that what, what is a problem is that we don't allow certain questions to be asked and we don't question science and that's you know and we need to like i think that it's it's less problem for natural sciences but it's a huge problem for social sciences you know like psychology mm. and, and again like my example would be are we talking the the society of psychologists or the that you know still in 1983 had um or 79 had um, homosexuality as a as a psychological psychiatric right. disorder is that the science we're talking about? I don't because they were all doctors, and they were all very erudite, <laughs> you know. And and a couple of decades later, we're like, yeah, that was bullshit. Yeah, but, a doctor signed off on a document I think in the '40s saying that smoking was healthy. 
Ooh. You know, so I, I don't mean to bash on science. I don't I don't want to do that. Uh, but I, I think what's will, will the word science. It's a wonderful branch of knowledge. It, it helps in so many ways. It's just not the answer for everything. It can't help with justice or with love or things like this. But I just wonder if the word science will be kind of coerced, like like we've changed the word literally. We use the word literally so poorly now, and we've changed the definition. I think, that, and I, there's countless of others, but maybe science will be the same thing. Well, I believe in this science that, that appeals to my political viewpoints, or I've, I'm not quite sure. But t- I, I like to ask. I hope people, not. I hope not either. Uh, you know, do they look at things in what you approach? Is it art, art or science? You know, I talked to comedians before. I say, you know, musicians. I say, your process, is it art or science? And they say, well, I think it's about 40% science and it's systematic. And then the rest, I just kind of wing it and it's art. It's whatever I feel. And so I get, I'm, I'm just so in used to looking them, not that they can't work together. They certainly can, but just the approach is just to be, they're just so opposite. But I, I don't want to say that they're not beautiful together. They certainly are. So- I will answer, I will say this, um, on the art itself, I'm sorry, on the science um, itself, I hope that we will fortify and and strengthen what, what science always used to be, mm. which is, it's a, we need to go back to the scientific inquiry. It is, it is until somebody else proves me wrong. So you have to have every opportunity to constantly trying to prove me wrong. Mm. And, and I want you to, to try and prove me wrong. And until that happens, we're going to go with this, you know, explanation of things. And so again, open inquiry is, is necessary for all things, right? Like I'm, that's why I'm also a proponent of free speech because that's how I need you to debate me and tell me I'm wrong. If, if I want to learn, you know, I want to be on your side if you're correct. I don't know if I have the answer. So, you know, this needs to happen. So that's number one. Number two, when it comes to art, I, I think that what's beautiful is that science and art basically both try to explain the world. They're coming at it from different angles, but the goal is the same. We are trying to make sense of the world. And the approach of these two are, you know, they're different approach to the same thing. We want to know what is our place in the world and how we interact with the world in a way that makes sense. That's beautiful. And they should be kind of, they are definitely working together in, in that mm. direction. One thing I was going to say, I don't know if you've had a chance to read Rick Rubin's book on creativity. It just um, came out last year. And Rick Rubin is this, you know, uh, producer, world Mega famous Rubin. producer. Yes, yes. He produced everybody. Yes. I just went, when the book came out. Beastie Boys, Chili Peppers. Beastie Boys, yeah, Chili you know, Adele, yeah. Adele, Jay-Z, yeah. like what, yeah, yes, what, what, yes. anyway, but he's also like a super cool dude. If you yes. ever, you know, follow him and know him he well. talks about, it. it's just, it's, he's a beautiful person. And 
What I loved is how that book is fantastic. I can highly rec recommend it. But what's really interesting is it's, it's a, it's an, okay. The, the, the format is interesting, but it's, he talks about certain things that work for him. And when you know a little bit about neuroscience and, or you've been dabbing into kind of these fields, like I have so much is backed by science. Like he kind of came intuitively to a lot of things that we now know actually work. And we have a piles of, you know, we have piles of, of data that support exactly that. I, I can give you an example of like, he, um, he talks about, um, sort of the creative process of sort of going into, we would say into the zone, right? Into the flow, the flow state. And, and then a kind of doing something else, going into it, being really deep in and then going out. And we now know we have, um, you know, studies that show us these, <clears throat> um, what do they call it? Like a gap attention where you're supposed to work on something. Let's say you're writing an article and, and then if you leave and go for a walk and come back, you're going to do better. You know, instead of doing, you know, I'm going to sit here for three hours. You actually, if you tell yourself, no, I'm going to do this for an hour, then I'm going to do 15, you know, 15 minutes or 10 minutes break. And then I'm going to go back the, the, your, uh, your output is going to be staggered. And instead of going like, you know, kind of slow increase, you can, you can leapfrog and you can actually achieve more and, and, and do more because you're cognitively more calibrated. It's this, it's a change of aperture in, so to speak. It's where you look very closely and you're like focused. And then you look at that thing, sort of from a different perspective and then, then you go back in. And so there's piles of, you know, studies that document this, but Rick Rubin talks about it in his book because he just learned how to do it. Like it works for him, right? It's a, it's a really beautiful, um, I think he, like that book comes to mind as a perfect answer to your question where science and art meet, like it, it can be, or like behaviors, you know, and I think they both look at, and they're trying to help us, you know, tell the story of our lives, which is something we all struggle with, um, and finding out our kind of understanding of the world. So in that sense, I see them very much as complementary. You also make the point when you talk about, you know, the art of, uh, in, you know, knowing the world, you talk about martial arts, meditation, nature, that are all part of that kind of sphere as well. Yeah, because I think so. So some people really dig art, right? Like mm -hmm. they um, and I use art because I think. Um, people can kind of connect that to, oh, I can see like 
I'll give you another example. I went to see um, The Killers last year, uh, a couple Ooh. of months ago. And at one point, I looked around. It was a beautiful show, by the way. Yes. Great show. And I look around, and it's at uh, you know this big arena. There's, what, 20,000 people. And they all jump and you know sing in unison. And there's lights and there's this energy. And I love live shows for that reason. I love theater mm, for that reason energy. because you cannot, um, you know, there's something intangible but very palpable that happens between the stage and the audience. Like there is this energy. And I was looking at this, at this crowd, you know, being in unison and this like mass of people so happy and on the same wavelength and and it's so joyous and there there are reasons um or and again some people believe that you you go seek these experiences not just because you like the band but because because there's deep down this fear of death or you know our mortality and when you're with other people in that crowd, it gives us a shared sense of right here, right now. We're capturing a little bit of that fleeting life, right? Like mm. we're here now and these people are here with me. That's gotta mean something. Like I am, I've been here, right? Like I am making a mark and we are all like stamping like on that on that fleeting time you know space continuum our own mark and this where was i going with this idea hold on let me let me double 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 the back killers, a little the energy of <laughs> the energy so well you were asking about uh, also like martial arts and, yeah. and meditation. And what I was trying to say is, you know, art in, it doesn't have to be visual. It, again, music or dance is huge. Like rave parties. When I was younger, I talked to a, a student um, I know who's like 22. And I was like, is rave parties still happening? Like, I don't know. Um, and he was like, <laughs> his answer was brilliant. He goes, we have our ways. And I was <laughs> like, Okay, dude, I don't know what that means, but I'm glad that the new generation Rock came on. up with something sure. like, yeah, you, you do you. Um, but I think, you know, there's this, like your soul needs something and you get a release and you get a sense of yourself or like joy out of different things. For me, it's, it's, it's a performance. So going to a show, going to a theater for other people is like training jujitsu and or being a meditator, right? Or um, going on these long walks or hikes or, you know, cold baths. I don't know what it is, but there's something that, that takes you out of your regular self that helps you understand a little bit more about yourself and the world. And I'm a big, big fan of this. Um, because I can, um, I, 
I see it happen with my clients and my students and myself all the time. Um, do you know that nine dots problem? So uh, there's a, I usually have a whiteboard oh, behind the me. Triangle. Yes. Um, yeah, the triangle, right? So nine dots and you're told to, to draw a line through all the dots and you can't, you know, cross and it has to be one line, one line that you draw through the nine dots. And people are like, it doesn't, what? Next. And you go, well, there is a solution. And then somebody comes out and draws the line sort of, you have the, you know, down the line, like out of the box, this is how we got the out of the box, out of the box, and then connects out of the box and again, and then this way, right? Like, so they connect the nine dots in one line, except they went out. Yeah. Well, except that they went out of the box and it's like, there's no box. Your dummy think it's a box because that's how your brain operates. You see nine dots and you see it as a box because that's how your brain works. But that, you know, and this, by the same token, by the same, you know, principle, we see people in our lives or, you know, in our office and or we see ourselves in certain way, like a nine dot problem. Hmm. And it takes you to get really deep into your workout and or really deep in your meditation or you know, something that kind of jerks you out of the thinking that it's a box to go, oh my gosh, what an idiot. I can go out? Oh, what it, you know, you have this sort of, as if you had out of, out of body experience, looking at yourself, go, oh, now I get it. Now I, and, and you can't, unsee right you cannot Mm. unsee then it makes sense you move a little out of the and it's not again it's not something you read it's not something somebody told you it's just and i think that's the that's the benefit of finding somebody who's a really good coach or who's a really good sparring partner um who's a great you know life partner whatever whoever your best friend whoever and sometimes the messages come from people who are not even related to you or who you don't even know when we, that's another big topic of mine. When we don't pay attention, sometimes we get these messages that are actually really fantastic and they make us, you know, see that we can go outside of the box. And that's when transformation happens. I saw you uh, talk about that experiment with with the box before. It's very, very interesting we were talking before, uh, before we went on, and you're from the former Czech, former Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. You ended up working for the man who was jailed and would become prime minister. You also were in Kiev, where you worked for. A, you were in the hospitality, and, and now you're in the, the the northwest in Seattle as a professor. Has all of this helped you arrive for with self discovery and self mastery? Well, absolutely is the answer. Yes, but. Did I know that mm. it all connects? No. Um, I, you know, I will, I will tell you this. I think that the, 
really eclectic experience that I have is, has been a true blessing and humbling and, and also I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm very grateful every day, but you know, I'm a big fan of Stoics and I have Marcus Aurelius's meditations right here behind me. And the, they really lean into this idea of it's good that it's hard and that um, Ryan Holiday, who, who basically brought back and popularized uh, stoicism for the American market, um, wrote several books, but one on this particular topic is called Obstacle is the Way, and which I love. Uh, it really is about how we're so trapped into the storytelling sometimes, you know, and, and storytelling is a, is a big topic for me, but yes, like I am, I'm in this terrible situation and this is happening and the world is not fair. And then you go, wait. So I, I have this opportunity to, you know, do a B or C. And in fact, this is a beautiful segue to something that um, I, I wanted to say uh, earlier, how sometimes you get these messages and, and kind of, you know, divine messages from places you wouldn't uh, expect. So my favorite is when that happens with the Peloton instructors. Every time, um, so there's like this one favorite Peloton instructor, and I swear to God, I... Uh, have to laugh, but she goes, you don't have to, you get to. And I remember, you know, when people are like, and I, and I thought, yep. You know, there's a lot of people out there who are recovering from injury or they never can, you know, work out and, or who, who are not even here anymore. Right. Like there's so many you get to, you're here on the mm. mat, get your ass in gear, right? Like this is a privilege. It is. And so I think it's, do I love doing burpees? Fuck no. Who does? <laughs> They're demented, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just the dumbest move out there. Mm. You're falling and getting up. Walking plank. What? Who came up with that? You know, but you get to do it every now and then. And some of some very dedicated people do it regularly. Good for them, you know. Um, So I think the idea that we, you know, I, I. I want to go back to to answer a question. Yes, it's my life is kind of eclectic, and for a long mm. time I thought, oh, you know, I'm looking at um, some of my my peers, and I was always surrounded by uh, very smart people and and great kids. You know, in retrospect, we all thought we were invincible, 
um, geniuses back in high school, because every kid does, I think, or like it's a it's a it's a sign of the age. Um, but I was very lucky. I, I had some friends who really made it also to very successful careers and blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's great. And I, and I will admit to feeling a little uh, competitive and inadequate because I went my own way and I just didn't follow in the classic, like, you know, the trajectory that, you know, some people would have. I, I did up to a certain point. I, I finished my master's and I got PhD and I was working for this intergovernmental organization and that was all wonderful. And then I thought, I just, I, I was, I was burned out and I also just didn't feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I started working at the hotel and everybody, every single person in my life was like, you're nuts. This is insane. Um, you're throwing away your education. You're throwing mm. away your potential. What the fuck are you doing? Mm. And Joey, I've never been happier wow. than, you know, doing that. Like I was so psyched going to work. I was so excited about, you know, making something new happen and, and working in operations. And, and it was, uh, yeah, I was working in the hotel. And people are like, what, how are you, what? And I, so I guess what I, where I'm going with this and also kind of tying it back to the Stoics is sometimes we don't know the path, but it, like, it gave me this eclectic sort of, you know, exposure to a lot of different aspects of life and different cultures. One thing that I gathered and, and kind of kept is it's, is this humility when it comes to other people, mm. everybody is going through a struggle, you know, nothing about be kind. Always is one of the best mantras you can possibly you know, have. And I thought about this when, uh, when we talked about, you know, me coming onto your podcast and, and I, you know, started thinking about discipline and like weight loss is such a big cycle. I was just listening to, um, Andrew Huberman's, um, lab. He talks a lot about uh, neuroscience and, and he had this woman on, yeah, it's fantastic, but he had this woman on, and she was, um, who, who did some visual, uh, studies and she was talking about how the number one thing that everybody wants, you know, when it comes to new year's resolutions is in one way or another tied to wellness lose weight, run more, um, you know, mental health, something around there. And, and we know that it's also like the, the, you know, diet industry is the least successful or like, you know, most successful with least num like percentage of success, right? Mm. Like the, the return on investment is 
just staggeringly low, right? You have like 5% of people who actually maintain weight loss, you know, five years down the road. It's like, who would ever invest in that industry or like, but, but we are obviously all do anyway, my point being the, the, the sort of, we, the humility to me comes also in the context or comes up in the context of discipline because I have a buddy who last year during the pandemic, he decided he was close to 50 and he decided to lose a bunch of weight and get in like the best shape of his life before he turns 50, right? A lot of us have that with Mm. big, you know, my daughter's getting married and I'm going to be at the wedding or, you know, whatever. And he worked out, he watched his diet and he lost like, you know, a bunch of weight and he wasn't big before at all. He was just a regular, you know, but he got ripped. The man got ripped, like super great, great shape and, you know, great. Good for him. But we had a conversation about this and he was basically saying, look, it's not that hard. Work out, have discipline, don't eat crap and you will get results, you know, easy. And there I was listening to it and I was like, okay, um, I struggled with my body uh, my whole life to the point of, you know, going through um, addiction and, and, and eating disorder myself. And it just, I was like, just because it comes easy to you Mm. doesn't mean that it comes easy to other people. And I have been working with people who have, it's never about the food. It's, it's okay. If, if it's only about the food and the discipline, then good for you you know, but you're the unicorn. There's very few people for whom this is about the food. For most people, losing weight and or getting into some kind of routine is much deeper. It's, you know, you're feeding, like you're trying to fill the hole left Mm. in your heart because something happened when you were a kid. It's your you know, sense of perfectionism that has been destroying you since you were six, like it or 13 or whatever it is. It could be, um, it could be pressure from your, you know, I had a client whose mother was a, um, a beauty pageant, you know, uh, aficionado and she herself had a couple of crowns and would push her daughter from the very early age to like watch her diet. And it messed up the kid so bad right so now she's a grown woman and she still struggles with these cycles so to her if you tell somebody like that dude just you know watch what you eat get in that discipline and shush like what's the big deal and i'm all so i think the reason why people uh gravitate toward me as you know my clients uh, is because I have no judgment. Mm. I, I have seen so many different ways how to do life. 
and it might be your journey. You know, I'm here to help if you want to, you know, kind of learn more about yourself, but I don't know what that answer is. Like, I don't know how you should live your life. I don't know what's the best answer for you. I'm, I'm happy to help you figure it out for you. Like you will figure it out, but I don't know. And I think that there's this, you know, there's value in creating space and creating conditions when people feel that it's non-judgmental, that they can explore safely and just be silly or be themselves and um, kind of see where it goes. Very true. And you've you alluded to it. And, you know, I, I, I started my business in the 90s and I gained a lot of weight. I wasn't paying attention. I was working 14, 15 hour days, found myself at 340 pounds. Doctor said to me, if you don't lose the weight, you're pre-diabetic, you're pre-hypertensive. If you don't lose the weight, you're not going to see your daughter graduate. You know, and that's all I needed to hear. And so I didn't tell anybody, but I changed the way I ate. I worked out every day. And then, you know, over a year, I did like five triathlons. And over a year and a half, I, I lost a lot of weight. And people ask me to this day, like there's some secret, Hannah, like there's some simple way. And just the only way I could simplify it is discipline. I got focused. I got disciplined. And I get a lot of pushback from people when I ask about discipline in their life. They a lot say, well, you don't need discipline. You need compassion. You need love. You need. And I say, I think that's true, too. I don't claim to be the king of discipline. There's plenty of areas where I fall short. You know, it's it's uh, that's what I use then. So you you brought it up and how you view it and, you know, being raised in Eastern Europe, I'm sure there's a certain view of discipline there as well. Uh, I just wonder how it plays a role then and now. Well, I'll, I'll go, happy to answer, we'll go back to what you were just saying. So you seem to be in the category of people who, who have higher, and by the way, just now, and Huberman was talking about it on his podcast uh, recently too, like, we now know that genetically and, you know, motivation and discipline is tied to certain, um, pre like you can have certain precursors to, to that. But mm. what I find interesting in your story is, um, which again, I find in, uh, inspiring and beautiful. It's almost like you had to figure out that, the value is not, it, it's losing weight, but it, the value is being there for your daughter, right? That's like right. it's like, that is the motivator. So that's number one. Um, number two, and, and, and for most people who struggle with losing weight, the problem is that they don't think they're worth it. Mm. Most mm. cases, it goes down to self-esteem and not believing that you deserve it or you, you are worth it. And, and the issue there is we don't know how to love ourselves and be comfortable in our own skin. And, and that, again, different conversation. I think that we, we have plenty of navel gazing and we have plenty of people just like 
excusing bad behavior but by going well that's just my way mm. and that's an extreme you know that's the the other side of that coin and i don't want that um i don't Lazy. want to propagate that at all mm. um i because it's tied to what you're saying like the discipline is important you can't just go okay i i'm really like upset when when people go well big is beautiful and it's like okay there are people like i love lizzo just as the next person i adore her you know like the music is great she you know she's such a fierce woman blah, blah. she does more workouts and she works out more than you know i'm gonna say 95 percent of people who are obese wow. right she she has crazy routines she works out she has you know again i i think you had somebody on the podcast recently who was saying like if you eat your vegetables if you if you don't smoke if you don't drink a lot of alcohol and if you move regularly you're going to be pretty healthy and mm. yes we have different body types so there are people who are bigger and are healthy and people who are very skinny and have very low you know body fat and they are not healthy so with the caveat that there are people who are big and healthy right they work out and they can be you know healthy majority of people who are who are obese and morbidly obese which is a growing number in our country they are not healthy and the idea that we're not talking about it is preposterous to me you know like throughout the COVID, going back we were given the parks were closed right the you know we were not allowed to go outside cdc was giving us all these information all these recommendations not once did somebody stand up and say okay if you're big you have a higher chance of not mm. making it is like that would be helpful yes if somebody said you know what if you actually have a good lifestyle your chances of dying of this are way lower like it it's a fact like it's you know it's one of those things that we can actually back up by by numbers but so the discipline to me is really critical and and it's it and you can't just say hey i am this way and you know i think it's preposterous to think that people will like you just because like you want them to you need to like you and you will like yourself if you stick to your discipline if you stick to your routine mm. there are these protocols in place because they help us to kind of uh, reassure ourselves that we can stick to a plan it's it's the difference between getting and being right like getting to certain point versus i am that person like um you probably discussed this on your podcast before, but James Clear and his Atomic Habits is the absolute, you know, um, change maker in this context because I use it in my class and I talk to my students about this all the time. It's this idea of, you know, incremental change that leads to to big um, gains over time, but also it's not the goal. It's not. I'm going to lose 30 pounds uh, by my daughter's wedding, or it's not about 
you know, um, getting to your body by, by summer or reading every, you know, reading three books by, by next Christmas. It's about becoming that person and adopting mm. it as part of your identity. So you would say, I am a weightlifter or I am a runner. I am a, a book reader, right? Like the fact that I read every night means that I'm a book reader. It's not about that goal of completing seven books or 12 books or whatever your goal is for next year. It's about reading consistently and regularly so that you can say, I'm a, I'm a reader, right? Like I, I, that, that being is actually psychologically really important because hmm. you are embodying this, this identity of a runner, of a, of a weightlifter, of, you know, um, martial art uh, practitioner. And, and that helps you kind of stay on the track. It's not the goal, it's the everyday doing, right? And so I, and I think in this context, motivation is fleeting, discipline is, you know, forever. Like that's the one that, that keeps you. And I think brains in, in this, in this context, our brain is really bad ally because um, I was listening to, what's his name? Uh, Jacko Willink, the Navy Jacko SEALs. Willink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's the, he's the Navy SEALs um, um, commander, but also now he wrote a bunch of books. He has a podcast yes. too, blah, blah, blah. Wonderful. And, Great guy, uh, seems like. Uh, never met him, but uh, everything he says seems to be uh, supporting that evidence. And and he was talking about his routine. Uh, I don't know when I heard it, and and what I like is he was saying, you know, there are days when I wake up and I don't want to go to gym. I don't, but I don't allow myself to think about it, right? Like the alarm goes off, I go. <laughs> like mm. there's, there's no debating, you know, like That's right. I go. And I think that there is this almost um, epidemic of us dwelling way, like again, and that's a, that's a really fine line because we need to navigate it. Like, yeah, we want to pay attention to what we're doing and how we're responding to the world and how we are reacting to the world to gain that, insight and and be better at the self-mastery like that's absolutely critical and important and at the same time there is this danger of being narcissistic and kind of mm. there's too much navel great gazing and too much of i am this way and you should like me and mm. love me this way no matter what and it's like well okay so first of all do you like yourself this way? Mm. And I think deep down, again, going all the way back to integrity, you would find out that a lot of people who say, hey, you have to like me this way, deep down don't actually believe their own Kool-Aid and they don't believe, you know, they don't love themselves this way either. So then that's much harder for everybody else to get on board. And discipline really helps. And it's, it's the small incremental changes and again, knowing your triggers, like I know 
that I know my triggers. I know that if I don't stick to my protocol, I call it protocol because I come from, you know, sciences, but mm. um, it's your routine. Okay. Let's say routine. If I don't stick to my routine, I feel like shit. Who doesn't? Yeah. Right. And then when I get back to it, I'm like, what was I thinking? This, this routine works. It always makes me happier. Why would I ever, you know, drop from it? And the beautiful thing about, you know, if I may to, uh, to kind of promote the Stoics one more time is, um, you know, we, I love kind of looking at the historical figures and, and looking at achievements of the greatest, you know, individuals in the past and always looking at like, but who were they as people? I had this conversation with my cousin recently, like, you know, if you look at Michelangelo and when he made Pieta, the, the, one of the most beautiful sculptures in the world. And I had the chance to, you know, see it. And I was standing in that cathedral. It's kind of on the, on kind of like a right side. It's, it's, and, and I stood there and I was like, um, he was 28 years old. Mm. What the actual F yeah, like yeah. what, what were they doing anyway, but back to the Stoics, like, I think that we look at these guys and like, well, they were all like, you know, weird kind of, you know, Coke glass, right. um, you know, nerds. And that's not true. They were all like, when you look like I was, um, you know, Marcus Aurelius was a hunter and a, and a, and a warrior. And he was an exceptional, you know, like, uh, um, exceptionally fit, right? He was just like a real, and he was in the trenches and with his soldiers and like a really, um, like skilled in, in, in wrestling and well, like, you know, all that is true. Um, and most of them had some sort of a physical um, uh, training, you know, Aristotle and, and Plato, they actually had that background too, we just don't talk about it. And what mm. I think is really interesting is this idea that, again, we're being so disintegrated and removed. Our, it's the brain only. And trust me, it benefits me like hundred percent benefits me. I was born with way bigger, like in a family where the body doesn't matter. Like as long as you're smart, everything, like we don't care how you look, wow. who, like what you do, as long as you're smart, right? Like my family was extremely driven by work ethics and intelligence, like, but the intelligence being kind of limited to just this like prefrontal cortex, um, mm. cognitive, you know, grades, school, the fact that you have other kinds of intelligence, nobody cares. So it benefited me. But we are here also on a societal level where we are rewarding only one way of knowing, right? Only or have been. And only now we're learning about all these other ways or relearning. So you know, the Native Americans have a way of knowing certain things in ways that were completely, um, you know, uh, close to us and or we can know something or learn something. 
And bringing it all back together, I think that what's interesting is these, you know, big philosophers and or scientists of the past, they were also very fit and, and had an appreciation for, mm. for physical fitness. In fact, you know, when you look at psyche, the word psyche is related to physical that's why we have physical education. You know, the, the, it's, it's the, like, you cannot remove the body from the equation, which is why some of the most successful uh, therapists uh, are more and more developing techniques that include some sort of a focus on on physical fitness be included i'm looking mm. at that because you have you know healthy body healthy spirit mm. and the again the science or the evidence is mounting like it doesn't work for everything but like a lot of mental illnesses a lot of you know um uh cases of people struggling yes you're struggling but can you can you walk outside? Can you walk, you know, maybe you're too, you know, big to work out. If you can make it to, um, to the pantry, you can make it around the block, you know, it's just like, yes, <laughs> yes. There's simple things you could do. Hannah. Don't park close to the store. Park far away. Stop using elevators. Walk. Yeah, uh, there's just so many simple things you can do to, you know, that just just get that heart rate accelerating a little bit. But I, your point is is really, I, I never quite thought of it that way because when you see all of David's, you see, you know, the everybody's in really good shape. Everybody's in, <laughs> you know, everybody's uh, there. Of course, there were much. You know, I've been to Pompeii a few times and people were shorter, but. Uh, they certainly weren't overweight. They weren't big. They weren't, um, it's very interesting. I never quite thought of it that way. Uh, Hanukkah Bella Gala, what motivates you? I should have some very great answer ready for this. Um, but I'll give you a, a flyby. I, I'm, um, first of all, extremely motivated by the of kind of fleeting nature of time. I am very aware, deeply aware of our limited time here. And I want to maximize my time. Time is the one thing that you, you will never get back. Mm. In fact, this is my, my son always rolls his eyes so back in for far in his head because he's like, mom, you have a, you know, quote for everything and I can't help it. I do. Um, he? He's 11 and he's already ah. tired of, of that. But <clears throat> the, um, Napoleon said, you know, space, I can recover time never. Mm. And, and I am so aware of time because 
of two things. Uh, personally, um, my dad died when I was a little girl and he was 40 years old. And um, so from that very early age, it was like eight. And from that age, I somehow knew that you can be plucked out and not because you have done anything wrong. Like mm. some, sometimes, you know, bad things happen to good people. Like that just happens. You don't know. Um, so on personal level, I'm extremely aware of the gift of every day. It's, you know, funnily enough, I just had this conversation with my students last Monday because we talked about, you know, somebody said like, oh, I have the case of Mondays and <laughs> bad case of Mondays. Mm. And, and I was like, okay, so snap out of it because it's a privilege. We were spared. That's something we also say around here in my family. We were spared, right? All your ancestors made it. Think about the humanity, mm. right? So we had plagues, we had wars, we had, um, you know, you cut yourself, got sepsis, gone, yeah, right? Uh, women dying in childbirth, mm. every, you know, you had one in 20 chance of dying every time, you know, it's just like insane. Polio, like, you know, like, and again, just, you know, antibiotics were another thing. We right. like just a simple infection could kill you. And, yeah. and it did throughout all of that through millennia, the only people who survived the rapes, who survived the wars, who survived the plagues, who survived the famines were your ancestors, mm. your ancestors made it. So you could be here on this fucking Monday morning. Okay. Mm. So get into some gratitude chanting and appreciate what you got. And also think about what you're doing with this day. The Stoics have memento mori. Remember the debt, you know, like you will die. Think about it. They even have this practice that freak out my students uh, when I tell them, which is you, you know, when you're putting your child down or you're kissing your lover good night or whatever you're doing at night. Um, think about that might be the last time I see them, mm. you know, and as horrible as it is, I bet you anything, you hold them a little tighter, you mm. kiss them a little more warm, you know, like it's Lori Santos, who's at, um, the, she's the Harvard lab, uh, person. Um, are we running too long? Um, I'm just going to finish. Um, she, uh, I think she does that with, it's a, it's uh, one of the biggest classes. Maybe she's at Harvard or Columbia. And she always says, okay, think about that, the, that you get home and you get the message that your, you know, husband or child or, were killed in a car crash. And people are like, oh, pearl clutching, like that's horrible. And she's like, yeah, but next time you see them, how happy are you going to be? And, and this is, you know, it, it's not about making, it's not about being morbid. It's about recognizing how fleeting we are so, um, kind of happy in this world where we pre like expect everything to be the same and mm. nothing can be further from the truth. So 
to answer your question, what motivates me is this, like the notion that I am in this beyond privileged position of, of having life and, and, you know, having more or less healthy, you know, uh, body to, to be in this world. It's such a privilege. It's a, you know, we don't have to, we get to, and that's beautiful. And I, I feel like some of my ancestry and the kind of the, the, um, the drive for work ethics, borderline psychotic sometimes, but I think that also is helpful to kind of, uh, it's a, it's motivating me to not sit idle. Cause I think, you know, like in my family being idle is a sin, which is not, mm. I don't recommend this as a policy. Like I think that learning how to, how to be and relax, and you don't have to just be go, go, go all the time is actually very helpful. I, again, I'm not recommending it, but I'm recognizing that it's something that motivates me. Um, and so it's the deep, you know, kind of understanding of the mortality and, and, and the privilege of being here. I, you know, uh, I love my family. So my, my child and, and, and that is a huge motivator. Like I want to be, a role model and I want to have a good relationship with him and, and with my family, but also with my friends, sort of my, my next two family closest connections. And, and what motivates me is also that I feel like we all are given certain gifts and I, I want to help those who would find what I have to say helpful and, and kind of channel that, you know, it's, we all have different combination of, of things we can offer to the others. And, and if you don't tap into what it is that you were put here to do and to give others, and you don't kind of channel that, and share it with others. I think then mm. that is kind of going to eat your soul. It's and tragedy. it's a tragedy. I think it's a missed, missed, missed opportunity. And I, you know, did I know this when I was 20 years old? Mm. Fuck no. no. But do I know it now? Yes. And do I want to give it, you know, my all? Yes. So I, that's what drives me for sure. And given that, how do you measure success? Um, I think to me, that's, that's a, I can give you a very long answer, obviously, but I can also give you a pretty short one. And that's um, by quoting, you know, Maya Angelou and say, uh, people will not remember what you have said or done, but they will always remember how you made them feel. Mm. And and I think if if I was to paraphrase um, that a little bit, I for me turning my life or or being myself 
and able to channel whatever that gift I have is to other people so that they remember me as, as somebody who, um, you know, made them feel better and or help them in certain way, that would be the best, you know, form of success for me. It's, I, I have a, like, you know, success, it's so, I think success is very individual and very, very subjective. And to me, it's never about the social standing or the, or the money. It's, it's way more about, did you make a difference? Mm. I hope I do. Well, from what I know about you and what we've talked about today, I certainly think you have. I think you've made a difference. I uh, was so excited when you accepted this, Hannah, and I'm so uh, I'm so glad we talked. I I really really appreciate your time today. Uh, you know, every summer. Uh, I'm in the Northwest. I, I have some friends there and perhaps we'll get together and have a cup of coffee. I can look forward to that perhaps, but thank you so much for your time today. How can we find you? If anyone wanted to find you to do any coaching, where can we find you? So I am, um, basically I have two or three hats, but the easiest way is to find me on LinkedIn. So it's Hana, it's H-A-N-A, Hana Cabela Gala. And I teach at South Seattle College um, their, um, hospitality management program. And I also serve as the director for corporate coaching with the consultancy leadership associates. This is a consultancy based in Vienna, Austria, and the, the consultancy, the company is, I, it's like a gift from, from gods to mm. me and to many women the consultancy focuses on supporting um, people in their leadership development, training and consulting. And they particularly work um, with women and uh, women in, in uh, mid to high level positions. Um, we did a lot of work with the UN um, and, and there, there were projects in Africa and there are ongoing projects with, um, several corporations in, in the EU, but, um, that's, that's also kind of a head that I, I wear leadership associates, um, based in Vienna, Austria, a fantastic group of, of fearless women who do a lot of, uh, you know, once a month, there is a community of women um, it's like a Zoom call that you go in and you meet other people um, who I always feel like those are beautiful meetings when I meet somebody I would never have met otherwise. And I learn something every time. Um, and me, you know, I'm on LinkedIn and I work with um, individuals, but also companies. So like um, the the traditional way is uh, a company asks me to last time there was a software company that asked me to uh, come and speak to them about complex systems, which is not something that we covered today, but it's something that I also um, have talked about before. And, yes. and, um, and then, you know, there could be, so I would do like a, uh, like I would come uh, as a speaker, but then, you know, sometimes there are teams that need a little help figuring out, 
where they can do better and and I can I can work with either individuals and or the teams um, on that. Very good. And as you mentioned, Hana, H-A-N-A, Cabela, K-A-B-E-L-E, Gala, G-A-L-A. We'll put it in the show notes. Hana, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I really hope we can see each other face to face and uh, you be well. You too. And thank you so much. I definitely will buy you coffee. Uh, Joey, you know, let me, let me know when you're in the area. We're good Thank people you. around here. Yes, I love it there. I absolutely love it there. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pin's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, $50, $100, $500, $1,000, $5,000. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pin's Discipline Conversations.